Well, 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 here we are in the same room as we were in last week here at MetLife Stadium. And the Buffalo Bills come away with the same exact result, only this time a bit more convincing. They collect a 28-14 victory over the New York Giants. They go back-to-back at MetLife Stadium. They are now 2-0 on the season. And Matthew Fairburn, as the Bills tweeted out uh, earlier this week, that the Bills are the first team in 13 years to win back-to-back road games in the same stadium. The last team that did it was in 2006. The Chicago Bears did it at the then Giants Stadium when he beat these same when they beat these same two teams. So we just witnessed kind of weird, you know, random history today. We did, but wouldn't you think it would be way longer than that? Like I'm not really impressed by that. Right. That it's only been 13 years because how many teams have even had the opportunity to play in the same stadium two weeks in a row? Really, it's this scenario is if you play the Giants and Jets two weeks in a row, both at MetLife. And I suppose now L.A. as well. L.A. will have that distinction in the future, but not yet. Right. And so really, there's not that many opportunities to do that, but. Still kind of a a quirky thing, and the more important thing, which I have to double-check this stat. Somebody was saying it in the locker room, and I don't know. I didn't look it up myself, so I don't know if it's 100% true, but that this is the first time the Bills have started the season 2-0 with two straight road wins. Ever? Which is, which if true, would be, again, you know, how many times did they start? with two straight road games and, you know, but still that would be also weird. I mean, a lot of weird stats that start to get dug up when the team is reasonably good. And I say reasonably good because we don't know how good yet, but we can at least say they're the last two weeks. They've been better than the jets and the giants who are, you know, the giants certainly are, are a bottom feeder. The jets, could be one after all that went wrong starting in the second half of the the Bills Jets game and then everything went, that went wrong during the week for them injury wise and illness wise but still to convincingly be 2 and 0 going into a game against the Cincinnati Bengals who just got smacked around by the 49ers with a realistic shot at 3 and 0 it's a a promising start and certainly a, a one that is different. You know, I think a lot of people, there was probably a significant amount of fans coming into this game, and we talked about it, that the tendency is to think because they it seems like they're supposed to win, they'll lose. Mm-hmm. And for a little bit, it looked like that might happen after that first drive, but they won a game they were supposed to win, which is an important step to becoming a legitimate contending team. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think... In terms of Giants being a bottom feeder, absolutely 100%. I mean, they're, they don't have much of a pass rush at all. They, they did actually get to Josh Allen a little bit today, a lot more than they did against Dallas, but that, it's still a weak area for them. They, they can't cover anything in the secondary, and we saw the Bills exploit that. To, to in the sense of uh, Josh Allen getting a 
consecutive 250-yard-plus performance. Um, I believe since last week was the first time he had 250-plus, this would be the first time he's ever gone back-to-back with 250-plus-yard games. He he ended up the the game with a 253-yard performance through the air. But this Giants team, they... it seemed like they were going to be a lot different. And I think this is where the where the whole kind of thought process shifted as to what this Bills team could be. Because most years when you see a team go into that game and they just stormed down the field against this Bills, uh, Bills defense, just ran right through them. I think it was five uh, plays for 75 yards all of which were runs. I mean, the the Bills were kind of shell-shocked at that point. Then the offense comes on the field, three and out. And it's like, oh, God, maybe the Giants don't suck as bad as they did against the Dallas Cowboys. But then what you saw over the next two drives, both offense and defense, the defense shut down the Giants. I believe it was for a three and out. The offense came out and marched it down and and scored a touchdown to, to tie up the game. And that was a humongous answer and almost like... A sign of progress too, where they don't they don't uh, have to be like, oh well, here we go again. I mean, it's it's kind of a different mentality here in Buffalo, and I I thought those two drives um, by themselves were vitally important to tell us exactly what this team is all about. The first Giants drive went five plays for seventy five yards and a touchdown. The next three drives went ten plays for twenty one yards and. Ooh. Three, three punts. So they got a first down uh, on one of on a fir- on the first play of that drive, and then went uh, three plays and out right after that. So, and I just looked it up. Indeed, the first time they've started two and zero with both games being on the road. Wow! Not just post merger. Go back to nineteen twenty. They've never done that. Wow! Which some of these stats are not too say how good this Bills team is but to say that when people say it's different there are some measurable ways in which it is different and I think that's important other than you know because I think every year you can hear guys in the locker room in August saying this this group is different this group's going to be special right and we've been hearing that for a long time and I don't know (laughs) that this group is going to be special but right now it feels different and the biggest way I think from where I'm sitting and, and watching is that they're winning, you know, games that they should win mm-hmm. and finding ways to win those games instead of finding ways to lose. And, you know, even the, the decent Bills teams of the last five, six years didn't always do that. They were, they were, you know, prone to a letdown or prone to a, you know, a game where they just come out flat and, and can't quite get it together. And, this game wasn't perfect. Uh, there'll be some things to to poke some holes in, but to me, it was you know to win a, a game by two touchdowns, uh, a game that the Bills were favored to win, is you know what they should be expecting, and they'll be glad they started two and zero when it comes time for everybody's favorite time of year, playoff tiebreaker time, and mm-hmm. you know figuring out what's going on in December. They'll be glad they got off to a 2-0 and start because the, those wins count and and they're they're important it's a lot better than being one and one not that they would be out of it or anything like that but it's a 
it's a nice place to be when you look at the Dolphins being a train wreck. I mean, you don't check off easy wins, but you could probably say four wins, right? That's as close to as like close to as it, it gets. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, a that's very, probably very one of the football team. Probably one of the worst ever at this point. It's they they look that way, but they've played against two teams that I think could be playing in the AFC title. Yes, game. but so in doing so, they they really were outscored one hundred two to ten. Yeah, 10. they they they're getting <laughs> their asses kicked weekly. But <laughs> so you say that's four wins minimum for the Bills, and then you you know the Bengals aren't a great team. Mm-hmm. Washington's not great. They play the Jets again. It's all of a sudden because they started two and zero, not that hard to find eight more wins mm-hmm. whereas you know if they started one and one or oh and two you know the the feeling is so much different so it's still early you don't want to start you know talking playoffs super early but uh it's a short season in the nfl there's yeah. only 16 games so we're an eighth of the way through it and they look like they could be in the mix um you know come december and they're going to be a team that that should be Pretty hard to beat, um, even when they're playing, you know, some some of these teams that when the schedule gets tougher. But the schedule's not impossible, and uh, they've certainly taken par- care of uh, this this early part, which could have been tough with two road games, um, and and they came out of it two and zero. Well, let's discuss Josh Allen a bit because he um, was able to shake off a, a, a struggling first half maybe first three quarters, you know, the first drive was really good against the Jets. And then it, it kind of unraveled a bit, not a lot of yards, some completions, but also turnovers. Um, but he turned it all around. Like we talked about last week in the fourth quarter to help provide them with a win at MetLife stadium and, and their tougher win of the two, as it, as it turns out, but this time around just seemed again in control a lot like he did both in the first drive against the Jets and in the fourth quarter against the Jets. Just seemed in control, knew what uh, what the offense wanted to get accomplished, didn't try to be the hero too often. There were times where he did get flushed from the pocket and he made some awesome throws. The, the one to Dawson Knox is the one that sticks in my mind more than anything where he's rolling right and just fires it right in there. The very next play, by the way, he ends up, missing John Brown when he was wide open down the middle of the field on a complete bust in coverage and he ended up uh, bending over and and touching his his ankles in frustration because he's like yep missed one there but still him coming through with the type of game an efficient game that you're kind of waiting for from him 19 of 30 for 253 yards I believe that's over 60 percent the marker that we've been talking about forever a touchdown a rushing touchdown to go along with it, uh, 21 yards on the ground. This is this is a quarterback that seemed ready for the moment against a bad Giants defense, and he didn't try to force things. He, you know, we were joking in the press box that he has to learn how to like throw the ball away because he he hasn't really done it before. Yeah, not that he needs to learn how to throw the ball away in the sense that. You know, he needs to throw the ball away more that like he actually needs to learn how to do it. <laughs> right. Like getting the ball, to, getting used to getting the ball to the line of scrimmage, making sure he's outside the tackle box. He's so used to not even bothering throwing the ball away <laughs> that he's not 
Uh, he does, doesn't seem to have the muscle memory built in to get it to the line of scrimmage or, or just follow those. He, he got the intentional grounding, which I assume that's why he got it, mm-hmm. because it didn't get to the line. Um, it ended up getting waved off because Cody Ford demolished a guy uh, after the whistle, and they chose to take that penalty instead. But, yeah, I think there's certain aspects of that uh, that particular um play as a quarterback that Josh Allen's still getting used to because he wants to always take the big play but he has been smarter in these first two games about you know getting rid of the ball and living to to fight another down he's this was one of those games where there's not a tremendous amount that you can point to where he made terrible terrible throws he, mm-hmm. he was off on a handful um that you know, you want to see that number continue to shrink. Uh, the one to Zay Jones sticks out. Um, the one, one in the flat you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. when he threw it behind him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. The Definitely. one to Cole Beasley that Cole Beasley actually caught. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he wasn't always pinpoint on target, but good enough, didn't make mistakes. And, you know, 250, a touchdown, 20, and a rushing touchdown is kind of what, uh, you know, will – you'll be in a lot of games uh, if he plays that way. So uh, I thought an improvement from him in terms of putting together four full quarters. And frankly, if they need to throw the ball more in the fourth quarter, if the game's a little bit closer, he might uh, flirt with 300 yards. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there a lot of it was running out the clock late in that game. I think he got to 250 right as they, um, they got their fourth touchdown. And... From that point forward, it was, let's see, the the offense scored right at the beginning of the fourth quarter, I think, and then the next two drives, they were just trying to run out the clock, and it was like 10 plays and a couple of punts. So, I mean, it this was, I, I won't even say it's a, a step forward for Josh Allen because we've seen him do things like this, but I think it's it's good to see him do it, like you pointed out, for an entire game as opposed to just segments of the game. Like, first drive last week, fourth quarter last week. Those were his his big moments. And then everything in between was kind of like, eh, we don't really know what's going on here with him. But today was a solid showing for him. More than solid. I mean, that that is a a winning brand of quarterbacking that, that he just performed today. No turnovers and didn't really put himself in too much jeopardy of turning the ball over on his own accord. I mean, there was one that was tipped at the line where it ended up like being like a pop fly that uh, somehow Antoine Bethea did not come down with it. But, you know, that's it's also a, a bit of luck that comes involved with interceptions too. So uh, I, I thought it, uh, Allen got high marks all around for what he did today. This was a sieve of a defense. Yeah, oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. And he should have done what he did today. You know, not to be a wet blanket, but this defense is really bad. Uh, the Giants' defense, that is, um, and the Jets' defense wasn't that great either. And so there will be tests. But I think the encouraging thing is to, you know, know that the last two weeks. Certainly weren't perfect for the Bills, but even their less than perfect has resulted in two and zero, uh, and that's a little bit of a different, you know, thing than than we've seen from this team in the past. And 
I think it's important, you know, to to know and to to realize that as the season goes on, even a team like the Bengals, um, who put together a good defensive effort against the Seahawks before doing the opposite this week, you know, teams as the season goes on will get more tape on what Josh Allen is doing and what this offense is doing because it looks different now than it did last year because mm-hmm. he knows more and he has a better command of it and they have different pieces. They're able to do a lot more. Brian Dable is able to open things up so much more because of the new pieces that are in place. And so it's going to take some time for defenses to adjust. And I think the most obvious test is coming up in week four when you know they play against the Patriots who their defense might be better than their offense and their offense is one of the best in the league. So that's going to be probably the biggest test. Then you've got the Titans after that. So, you know, those are two games going into the bye week, not to overlook the Bengals or anything, but those will probably be the two big tests going into the bye week where you say, all right, what does he look like against a legitimate top flight defense and some top flight defensive coaching coaches who are able to, to see his tendencies and, you know, formulate a good plan to attack him because at, it was at one point during the game when I asked you who the Giants defensive coordinator was and neither of us could name him <laughs> off the top of our head. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, that was a disorganized secondary. Um, they lacked talent and they lacked a plan. Mm-hmm. And so not every team will be like that, but also like we said last week and, and you know, you come back to it as, it's better than, you know, wetting your pants against a team like that. Absolutely. You know, it's better than not looking under control um, or not getting to 250 yards and, and accounting for a couple of touchdowns. I mean, the 98-yard the touchdown drive was uh, was a big deal. Uh, they had three straight touchdown drives in this game at one point, mm-hmm. all of which went more than 70 yards. I mean, that's a, that's a sign of an offense that can get it rolling when it needs to. And – that's something that I don't think you would necessarily say about the Bills uh, at any point, maybe since 2015. Right. I know. This is. I'm glad you brought up Brian Dable um, because this is the second straight week where I've been really impressed by what he's done out there. The first drive, it was a three and out. They didn't even look ready. And at, there was. it was a big moment going into that second drive to figure out, okay, how do they settle in and get all of their guys going? Because they, they needed to. They, they needed some sort of answer because the Giants stormed down the field. They, they, uh, they got some points. But then the Bills defense stopped, uh, stopped the Giants three and out and you know kind of reset everybody. And that second drive was such a huge answer. And I really like how Brian Dable kind of opened up the Giants defense on that drive in particular. So, like, going through and, and watching how he was subbing guys in and out, I mean, there were just so many different personnel packages used on that second drive itself. I mean, the, it was a 10-snap drive, and Frank Gore got 8 out of the 10. Devin Singletary had a couple of them. But the wide receiver rotation was was something. I mean, there were, there were some plays where they had just John Brown and Zay Jones, and then sometimes Brown, Beasley, and Jones, which is pretty normal. But then you mix in the, the, the type of 
plays where they have Foster, McKenzie, Jones, Dawson Knox out there. Like every sing, almost every single player, um, skill position player, with the exception of TJ Yeldon, got onto the field for at least two snaps um, on that second drive just because Dable wanted to keep um, the Giants guessing, and he was so successful in doing so. So full marks to him. He continued along with those two other touchdown drives past that one, continued to kind of throw everything at the Giants. The Giants did a better job in the second half of resetting themselves, but when they needed a drive the most after the Giants had just scored to bring it within one touchdown, the Bills march it down and, and get a touchdown. So, the, like, it's never going to be a perfect thing. If it is, you're probably putting up 60-plus points in a game. But I, I really liked how Brian Dable was in control of, of the game and took specific advantage of the weaknesses of the Giants' defense. Eight different receivers caught a pass, and 10 different receivers were targeted. And I think that's another important thing to point out about Josh Allen is that he's spreading the football around. He's not forcing it to one guy. And it to me, that shows an understanding of the system that you're playing in mm-hmm. because you're, you know— operating the system as it's meant you know as it's meant to be taking what the defense is giving you knowing where your your outlets are and where your answers are as opposed to panicking and saying I'm just going to throw it to you know whoever it may be uh John Brown another good game seven for 72 he still seems like the go-to guy in almost all levels of the field and I think that's I think that's what I expected, uh, you know, going back to the spring. Um, I think we talked about it at then and, and throughout the summer, the way that he played is that he does not just go deep. And that's where he can be every bit what Cole Beasley or what people thought Cole Beasley was going to be this automatic safety valve constantly feeding him it doesn't they don't have to force the ball to Cole Beasley because John Brown can do a lot of those things too Mm -hmm. Uh, they're playing different positions but John Brown can work those short and intermediate areas with great routes and make plays after the catch he's more than just a deep threat and you know the the way they're using him I think is is really encouraging as well and I think Beasley is uh making you know quite a few plays and and establishing himself as a, a factor in this offense he had a few catches today where um you know it felt like a, a bit of a bounce back performance from him in some ways yeah um making some tough catches it was uh, not that the drops were all on him last week that the interception and then the the one deeper pass that that he let hit the ground but he he made the tough catches he didn't leave anything up for debate uh today which is good to see yeah it was for him, a much more efficient game because his snap, his time on the field was down from last week. And if you want any indication that John Brown is the clear and away number one, this this uh, this game he had sixty one snaps unofficially because I I counted them by hand. Sixty one snaps out of seventy five, and that includes penalty plays. The next closest was Zay Jones with forty three. So. John Brown, 81% of the snaps. Zay Jones, 57. Cole Beasley, 49. Robert Foster, 33. Isaiah McKenzie, 23. Like, it, this is this is Brown's show, and he's out there in almost all situations, unless they're doing a complete 
swap of personnel, but it's usually always involving John Brown, whether it's going two tight ends or a tight end, a fullback, a running back, and then the two speedsters, Foster and Brown, or three wide receivers with Brown, Beasley, and Jones, which is more, you know, prototypical. Um, then there will be times where they need some run blocking, and John Brown still stays out there just for just for his speed threat. So this is this is his sort of uh, the, he is the number one receiver in Buffalo. There's really no way around it. Uh, but Cole Beasley, yes, it was a great answer back for him. Had those four catches on some limited opportunities and. And yeah, this is a, and another strong game from Zay Jones blocking. I mean, the guy that he might never be the receiver that you would expect as a second round pick, but he serves a very important role. And down the stretch when they needed a touchdown to pull ahead by two scores again and then to run out the clock, Zay Jones ended up being on the field a lot of the time and far more than Cole Beasley, for instance. Um, Zay Jones had 16 snaps over those final three drives to Cole Beasley's three. So that is that is indicative of a very important player to what the Bills are doing. The other interesting thing on offense to me was that they used a lot more play action. And mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see the numbers um, when they come out uh, in terms of, you know, what it looked like and, and what it did for their offense. But they were one of two teams in the league that didn't run a single play-action pass in week one, which was odd, uh, just an odd stat. And this Giants team got owned by the Cowboys on play-action in week one, and the Bills saw that, took advantage of it, and, you know, took their shots. And the way they're running the ball, I think, you know, you don't always need to run the ball to be a good play action team. It doesn't mm-hmm. hurt, um, but it's it's not really a pre prerequisite as maybe once it, it was once thought of. But when you're running for 151 yards the way that they did, and your quarterback is a running threat, that adds another dimension to the play action game that I think should create some big plays for this team. Uh, you know, as they move forward and grow as an offense. Yeah, 100%. Um, all right, let's uh, let's dive into the defense slightly before we get into the awards portion. Um, Evan Ingram ended up this, this game with, let's see the stats here, uh, six catches for 48 yards. But a lot of those yardage and and receptions came on that last drive or the last couple of drives where they were already down a couple of scores and it was a foregone conclusion at that point that the Bills um, were going to to be victorious. I thought stopping Engram was going to be one of the most important things that they did because you knew Barkley was going to be successful. He's one of the best running backs in the league. He showed it again today. That first drive, it's like, oh my God, is this guy going to rush for 200 today? But they they ended up being able to stop it and stop the bleeding a bit. Limiting him to only 5.9 yards. Yeah, right, exactly. But the Engram, quietest 100-yard game you can have after the way that he started. Right. But Evan Engram, complete non-factor in this game. And that's, that's a, a tip of the cap to Leslie Frazier and the defense for stopping the only other big-time offensive player that they had today because of injuries and really a lack of talent. Yeah, there were receivers making some plays for the Giants, but only, I think, because the Bills were okay with right. with 
you know, conceding some of that if Barkley and Engram were somewhat limited. And they put the clamps on Engram big time. He finished six for 48, which, you know, even if you take out the fact that a lot, you know, some of it came in garbage time, still not a, a performance that's going to hurt you um, in any measurable Absolutely way. Not. And the same really with Barkley, uh, probably more so than what they did to limit him on the ground, which was solid. He had 55 yards on that first drive, 52 yards the rest of the game. But what about what they did to him as a receiver? Uh, you know, seven targets, three catches, 28 yards. Mm-hmm. That's a guy who can make huge plays in the in the passing game when he has the ball in his hands. But they were making tackles, whether it was Matt Milano or Tremaine Edmonds. They were wrapping him up and, and slowing him down, and they made the right adjustments couple guys in the locker room said that that first drive, the Giants came out with some runs that they hadn't necessarily seen or they weren't necessarily planning for. And a team like that's going to come out. They've got their 15 scripted plays, and some of those might hurt you. But then after that, they go back to what they do. They go back to the plays that they show most often on film, the ones that the Bills were prepared for, and the adjustments they made on the you know maybe runs that surprised them clearly worked because they were able to bottle them up uh, pretty well after that. And I mean, when you're, I mean, Eli Manning threw 45 passes today and at no point did it feel like, you know, he was necessarily going to make that, that big play. Yeah. They wanted him to test, to test it and 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 he wouldn't. And the, you know, the fact that they were behind is probably, you know, contributing to the fact that he threw 45 times, but, if Eli Manning's throwing 45 times when Saquon Barkley's in the backfield, then you'll take that if you're the Bills. And uh, the big plays for Eli just aren't there the way they used to be. Uh, and part of it is probably because of his receiver core, but part of it is, is him and uh, some of his diminishing physical skills. He's still got he's still got some of the you know the the savvy to play the position. He just doesn't really have the arm and. He doesn't have a ton of playmakers, so they it, it wasn't an overly complicated deal for the Bills' defense to slow these guys down, other than the fact that Barkley is just an all-world talent, and you know it's never going to be easy to slow that guy down. May I provide a stat that will make you go, whoa? And you're not easily impressed, but I think this will do it. Go for it. Before, um, so after the, the Bills had scored uh, the touchdown to go up 28-14, to 14, at that point, Evan Engram had three catches for four yards. Three for four. The last two garbage time, he got three catches for 44 yards. That and one of those is one domination. of those was a 33-yard catch. Yes. Which means the other two were for one was for 12, 11. Y- yeah. Right. Yeah. Four, one was for eight. One was for yeah. three. Yeah. So 11. So three catches, catches four yards. yards when the game mattered. That is dominance. Is that is that a stat worthy of a woe? That's a that's a good stat. And the the 33 yard catch was kind of a broken play. Absolutely. It was a weird, yeah. it was a weird play. So it looked like a broken pass. They they <laughs> did they did a great job on on Ingram. And you know we talked earlier in the week about how he was really one of the only guys in the passing game that could hurt him and. He led the team in catches. Eli threw the ball 45 times. Evan Engram's six catches were leading the team. 
Uh, Benny Fowler had five for 51, but uh, not in a, you know, he had a good game. You know, he had that 20-yard run on the first drive, but he wasn't a guy that you were necessarily overly concerned about if you were the Bills. And and so, you know, the lack of firepower in the passing game Mm -hmm. was definitely a factor. And I I just don't think anybody thought that this Bills defense would let – you know, let these guys throw the ball all over the yard to, with much success. Right. All right, let's give out some awards, shall we? Uh, the first is the Matt Barkley Award for the biggest surprise of the game. I'll take that one because I think you took it last week. Uh, I will go with Saran Neal today. Uh, bounce back and got a considerable amount of time on defense. Um, and I think uh, almost... In, in a lot of situations where they needed a stop, it was Saran Neal on the field, and that that was probably encouraging for him. He split time with both Dean Marlowe and Kevin Johnson. It was very specific to down and distance who was in the game at nickel corner. But the Giants tried to spread it out, get three wide receivers out there to try and take advantage of a of a weakness, and and he didn't allow them to. Also, Saran Neal made the perhaps not under the radar, but almost just based on the way the rest of this game went play of the game when he stopped TJ Jones from returning the the punt for a touchdown because the ensuing offensive series for the Giants ended up in a pick by Trent Murphy, which was his first career interception, by the way. And I I told him that he's like, oh, was it? I'm like, how's it make you feel? I was like, I don't know. Fine. (laughs) Fine, I guess. (laughs) But but Saran Neal, I mean, the way that he was whipping down the field on on special teams all game, he was – a dynamite player in in that respect. So uh, he was he was definitely the definitely the surprise of the game from a positive perspective for me. What do we have after that? The Dre Archer award. Dre Archer, Vontae Davis. Ah, yes, the Vontae Davis. Dre Archer. I'm gonna go with Robert Foster, and I know it's tough because of his limited snaps and you know the the pecking order at wide receiver, but. Even when he's in there and he was targeted twice, not making the plays, you know, not taking Mm -hmm. advantage of even the limited opportunity that he has. And the other guys that maybe didn't show up on the stat sheet, you can point to something they're doing well, like Zay Jones is is a good blocker uh, and, you know, is is certainly playing his role. You know, Patrick DeMarco and Lee Smith aren't going to fill up the stat sheet, but those are guys that are quality blockers and and they have their niche on the offense but to me Robert Foster needs to he he definitely needs to develop and he needs to develop into doing more than just one thing mm-hmm. and I think they knew that I think that's why he's not getting as much run and I think that's why they made the moves that they made but it was a uh, a quiet game for him, and I think that's going to be more the norm this year unless they can sprinkle him in and he can make some random big plays. But this offense doesn't necessarily need him the way that it did last year, and that's right. that's a big difference. And, um, you know, he needs to give them a reason to need him again, and, and right now he's not doing it. No, certainly not. Um, the Vontae Davis Award is kind of tough um, just because they – they played so well today. However, let's see. If I had to go with someone in the second half that just didn't show up, I'll go with TJ Yeldon. Only had one snap, 
in in the entire second half. He's completely on the outside looking in on this offense, but he might not be anymore because of the Devin Singletary injury. Um, it's a hamstring injury. We don't know the severity, anything like that, but they did rule him out for the remainder of the game um, after he suffered it, I think, with like, I don't know, four or three minutes to go in the game. So Yeldon's responsibilities might go up, but the fact that, you know, this is another game and down the stretch he was out there for one snap. It's just – He's he's a he's a non-factor in the offense when when they're at their healthiest. So uh, so yeah, he he deserves the Vontae Davis award. Now, come on, Darlene. I have not, I'm going to be honest. I have not thought about this until right now. So so why don't you take it? <laughs> I have a couple of candidates. Go on. I'm going to. I was debating back and forth whether, and this has happened to me a few times, where. It comes down to the Come On Darlene Award, and I don't know whether to... I, I witnessed something, and I don't know whether to give that person uh, the Come On Darlene Award or to give them mad props. And I w- went back and forth on this for a while with with this man, but I've decided that it's worthy of the Come On Darlene Award. Go on. I, I believe it was halftime when I went in for a, a halftime tinkle break, and... <laughs> The li- the line was long. First of all, there was a guy in there that was upset that there was a line, which is, I don't know, you just need to relax. It's halftime of you the NFL game to, and we're at MetLife just, Stadium. You just need to relax. You know, sometimes there are lines. But there was a man at one of the urinals Uh-oh. Taking, taking a leak with his hands in his pockets, both hands. No. Which is... <laughs> Like I said, in some ways, very much a power move. It shows a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger. It's also reckless. You could make a complete mess of yourself, and you could make a complete mess of the bathroom for a lot of other people and for the cleaning staff who... They don't deserve that. They don't deserve that, all because you think you're too cool for school and you're going no hands. He was pulling a look, ma, no hands, and... None of us were impressed. I thought about being impressed for a second, but I wasn't. And you have to think of the children, quite frankly. What if there's a young boy who sees that and says, that's pretty cool. I'm going to try that. <laughs> Again, think about the cleaning staff. It's disrespectful. You need to you need to use more care and, and aim a little bit. Wow. I... I'm going to have a difficult time trying to trying to follow that. That that was that was uh, that's going to be one that I think is a contender. I was disappointed in myself last week. I can't even remember what I picked last week. You picked something to deal with football to do yeah. with football, and I won't do that again. I promise. <laughs> Never. Eh, maybe. Oh wow! Um, it's one of those weeks where I just. Really don't. Uh, really I also feel like we should take this moment to give some kudos to the the Giants. Uh, the food was better. Oh, that might be something. Because a lot of people were saying, "Enjoy the chicken fingers," because we were back at MetLife. Every this is the funny thing about MetLife Stadium. Everything is different when it's a Giants game. It's mm-hmm. lit up blue instead of green. We got parking closer to the stadium. The meals were different. The whole food situation was different. There was an omelet station. There All was these things the mornings, that nobody yes. cares about. But 
all were different. At, like the visiting locker room is different. The Bills were in a different locker room mm-hmm. today than they were against the Jets. So, yeah, kind of funny that two teams that share a stadium do almost do so many little things different. They, they don't just pick one plan and kind of stick to it or share. You know that it, there's a lot of little subtle differences, which yeah. is kind of funny. Both the Jets and the Giants have their own locker room, so. Uh, so when there's four locker rooms. There are four locker rooms, yes. There is a there are two visitor locker rooms and two home locker rooms and they're on obviously when a team is playing against the Giants, then they're they're on the opposite side of the stadium and it just flip flop it when, when the Jets are the home team. So it's it's uh it's it's pretty interesting. It it gave me a little bit more uh of a respect for MetLife Stadium, actually, the way they kinda handle it and kind of make this more of a unique experience. Uh, it also feels like more of an NFL stadium when it's the Giants and not the mm-hmm. Jets, since the Jets True. kind of feel like a minor league team in a lot of ways. Ooh, fire right there. Uh, I will actually give my come on, Darlene, to the New York Jets for their, uh, what we were just talking about, their lackluster They were display. exposed. Yes, they were. I mean, all these years were like, oh, MetLife Stadium, one of the one of the worst uh, pregame, postgame spreads there there is. But halftime, you get chicken fingers, which were fine, by the way. They, they were they were relatively food. Is food. Yeah, food is, food is food, um, and we're not going to complain because the we're, stadium we're, is still we're getting fed. Mediocre. However, however, the Giants classed up the joint in comparison to the Jets, and like I think. Uh, Marcel from ESPN was like, this stadium just looks better in blue. And he's absolutely right. Like, the, the MetLife uh, big uh, letters are in blue. Um, and the end zones are in blue. They, it looks just a, a little bit sharper. Maybe that's just, I don't know, maybe maybe I think blue is a more sharp color than, than green. Maybe maybe it's, it's it's part of my psychosis. But I, I feel know. like the Giants are a... They outclass the Jets. Well, I, they, they're, they've got to be the more popular team, right? I mean, you would think. Super Bowls, more more of a winning history. You it know, it certainly feels that way. The atmosphere in the, the building felt a little better. So, I don't right. know. Yeah. Maybe we don't have to come back here for a long time. Which no, is we don't. Nice. No, we don't. Not, Although, not until 2020. Pretty easy uh, Pretty easy trip. Yes, so, very much so. Now that we've done it twice and we're about to conclude it with, uh, with a flight home this evening. And speaking of which, we need to go to the airport. So uh, that will do it for us this time around. We will next speak with you in the middle of the week for the subscriber-only podcast. Uh, So if you haven't yet, please subscribe to The Athletic. And uh, so that way you can get all of the episodes. And, of course, uh, if you haven't yet, please rate and subscribe to our uh, to our free episodes, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, what have you. So uh, whichever way that you listen to podcasts, please continue to do so and rate and subscribe. Well, Matthew, we have a home game next week. A home opener. A home opener, indeed, against the Cincinnati Bengals. So the Buffalo Bills are 2-0 and on the season. Next up, Bengals at New Era Field. Oh, and one more thing before we go. We're ecstatic to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic... And our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports podcast called The Lead. And it's such a cool concept. I think a lot of you are really going to like. Now, The Lead will be the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the grandest of sporting events to the hometown stuff that we always do the deep dives on. And with the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts, 
Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelta will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of the lead right after I get done yapping, but make sure to subscribe to the lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. And if you're interested, there's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. Be sure to check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read the stories featured on the lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a The lead. Sports up close.